Bienvenue to Le Monde. Sam and I are back from our week-long trip to Europe. We're not going to cover the first part of the two towers because I'm super jet-lagged and I'm sure Sam probably is too. Oh yeah. But we were in France for a week and we are currently recuperating. So we're not going to do content. I know you attempted to watch the extended two out the extended two towers last night i didn't attempt i just went to bed at like eight o'clock how yeah, you, how were you feeling sam that's what i should have done i attempted to watch uh instantly i was really tired and then i kind of slowly did a thing where oh, i'll go from sitting to lying down you know i'm not that tired i'll probably be able to stay awake and then i was distracted and Haley, of course, knew exactly what would happen. She's like, don't fall asleep on the couch. You're going to fall asleep on the couch. And I was like, no, I'll be fine. Wake up four hours later. TV is off. Lights are all on. Completely fell asleep. So, yeah, it was, there was an attempt. I saw a decent amount of the two towers. Looking forward to rewatching. But no, it was not a successful attempt. For sure. I think we need to take some time and really be with it <laughs> yeah watching what is it like two and a half hours per half i think the first half is an hour and 45 minutes yeah so which is i mean that's, that's a lot of time that's yeah. a slog to get through especially when you're experiencing jet lag i know we got back saturday i woke up sunday morning at 3 30 in the morning pacific time just wide awake and stayed up that entire day until 8 p.m. And then I woke up this morning for work at 6, wide awake, which is good. It's a habit that I'm going to try to keep up now that my body is so confused about time and everything. But yeah, that's where we're at. We're not going to do Lord of the Rings today. We'll probably do a little short one where we talk about nerdy things and our experience on our vacation in France. I think the first one for me is just the Bayou Tapestry. Oh, I yeah. Think history is nerdy. And for me, it was a bucket list item because I'd been to France. I studied abroad there in Angers for a few months. I've been to Paris two or three times. This may have been like the third time. Did you do the high school AP trip like yep. Haley did? Okay. AP Europe. We were in Paris for the, for the trip. Then when I studied abroad... It might be two different times because we landed in Paris, stayed for like a day or two, and then we went back for my spring break. And then, yeah. And then you and Haley went to Paris too, right? So that would that yeah, be another yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been to Paris a few times and being able to get to Bayou for the first time, which was great. And Bayou, famously home to the Bayou Tapestry, depicting which... William the Conqueror's triumph over the Anglo Saxons. We should point out, as they do in the museum, that it is not technically a tapestry. It is technically an embroidery, which tapestry is a woven piece of art, basically, woven from threads of different colors, depicting whatever you want to. But this is a solid piece, or not a solid piece, but it's linen cloth 
with wool, dyed wool thread depicting, as Sean said, the triumph of William the Conqueror, detailing kind of the, the lead up to the Battle of Hastings, the battle itself. And then do, is there any of the aftermath of the battle? Kind of like some of the cleaning up, like the stripping of the dead soldiers and things like that. But yeah, it's a pretty th- abrupt ending. They think that I think I read somewhere that there's speculation that the tapestry, the embroidery actually continued and showed his coronation, but that has been lost to history. Which is understandable. The fact that this was made almost a thousand years ago. Isn't that the coolest thing? You're looking at something that is almost a thousand years old and it's still the colors are still vibrant. You can still see exactly what's happening. And this is kind of my my nerdy thing, too, is I studied Latin for four years and high school all of the scenes are described in latin it's not super detailed but it's there and that was a that was a fun thing from this is actually my second time seeing the bayou tapestry i saw it a couple years ago when Haley and i went to normandy and that was a bucket list item for me as well but it was yeah you're you're looking at a it's a time capsule right it was something explicitly created to commemorate a historical event and then, you know, you can argue about how significant the invasion of Normandy was or the invasion of England by the Normans was, but that was cool. What, what were but, some of your thoughts? Well, that's just how I feel about Europe in general. Like you walk around, we're at the Louvre, it used to be the palace of the French kings. And then you think about just like the history of these buildings and the people that walked the halls that you're currently walking. It always just, I don't know, I get so excited thinking about where I am when I'm in mm-hmm. Europe and like mm-hmm. what has transpired in these places. And one of the things that I usually think about, like that famous spot where in front of the Eiffel tower, where people take pictures, it's like kind of that in between the two museums and it overlooks that. Oh, like the Trocadero. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're there, and you have like hundreds of people on this little platform taking pictures in front of the Eiffel Tower. That's where the famous picture of Hitler in front yeah, of the Eiffel would, Tower it, was taken. The exact same thing I was thinking. Yeah. And how many of those people don't know that? And yep. like when I'm there, it kind of makes me feel a little ugh, like yeah. <laughs> uncomfortable, like a little creeped out by that fact. But like you walk anywhere in Europe and you're walking through history and you're in the space where all of these things have taken place. And yeah, I mean, Normandy is the same thing. It's more recent history, but when you're on these beaches on a nice sunny day in October, and then you think back to like what was happening 80 years prior and yeah, it's just history galore over there. I had a a similar thought and I don't know. I don't, I, I know I voiced it maybe to your dad, I don't know if you were there too, but just the the second tr- part of Omaha Beach that we saw after the cemetery, where it was that monument to the engineers, and there was a kind of a there was a leftover. I can't remember if it was a command post. It was there was a German installation there that was that was pretty well maintained, and then and then the monument to the engineers. But on the walk up, you had a herd of cows just kind of idly grazing there and mm-hmm. i asked our tour guide who we'll talk about in a little bit you know is this private land and he's like yeah just you know it's owned by a farmer that's his herd of his herd of cows and 
that area was particularly great because you had a pretty unobstructed view of the rolling hills mm-hmm. beyond the beach. And it is just, it's like something out of a postcard, you know, something out of a painting, which we didn't see a lot of impressionist art this this trip, but Normandy, you know, features pretty prominently in a lot of early impressionism. It was a very kind of a scenic, romantic, I kept using the word quaint to describe the city of the, the town of Bayou. And yeah, just to imagine what it would have been like on that day and the in the days following. But now there's just cows grazing idly there's you know the monuments that are still the preserved remnants but uh it's back to farmland as it's been for hundreds thousands of years Mm -hmm. but i mean in terms of nerdy things you brought up our tour guide who you said we would talk about so i think this is a good time to do that yeah yeah i'm not gonna say his name because he hasn't given us express permission to discuss him in detail but our guide for the normandy tour while we were in the midst of it in in Normandy, going between the beaches and oh gosh, what was the name of the first spot? Point to Hawk. Point to Hawk. And we're talking to him with some downtime while people were using the water closet, and we discovered that he was a Renfair goer, a French Renfair goer. And how did you how did you spot? How did you out him as a Renfair goer? Oh, I asked him, he was wearing, I noticed early on that he was wearing a t-shirt that had some, like a stereotypical Viking helmet and then some runes. And I asked what his shirt said. And he's like, oh, it says Grimfrost. And then he's like, and he's like, it's a company. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know Grimfrost. I've, I've contemplated purchasing some, purchasing some of their stuff. Pretty expensive to be, to be fair. And then I told you and Sean, you actually have some Grimfrost items. Yes. My leather satchel. And my leather shoes, part of my Renfair attire, are from Grinfrost. Yeah. And so we kind of, that was the jumping off point to talking with our tour guide about Renfairs. And he showed us some of his his costumes. He has, I think he said he had showed us two pictures of him in costume. One was kind of like an early Middle Ages costume. Not really, not extravagant. It was just relatively straightforward kind of peasant traveler type thing. And then another one of more of a musketeer. Mm-hmm. costume and both were really good i mean something where definitely more on the historical accuracy side of things which it makes sense he's a tour guide loves history probably wants to be as accurate as possible did you talk to him at all about the, the actual ren fairs in france no we didn't get too detailed on that he okay. also said that he had a uh full grim frost viking outfit oh, cool. as well so he's got three in the rotation but yeah he showed us his we showed him ours uh so that was pretty fun to be able to talk to somebody about renaissance fairs especially in a different country he said that the ren fairs in the normandy region occur in early july yep so which reason to go back it's a reason to go back but man it's the same thing about like my washington ren fair it's it's so like they pick the hottest time of the year i don't know why they do that to do it and it's i mean i know why washington does it because if you do it later it's the odds of it just being a rainy shitty day it's true. I, that might be it. And I, too. That might be the same thing with Normandy. That just climate-wise, it'd be too just constantly spritzing rain all day. I don't know. If we had had a Ren Fair the week that we were there, I guess that we had a little bit of rain on one of our days. But our tour day, it was absolutely fantastic. It would have been awesome to do a Ren Fair on on a day like that. Sixties, little windy, yeah, a little windy, but partially partially cloud or partially sunny. 
Yeah. Yeah. So more or less, we just wanted to talk about how we just randomly came across a Ren Fair goer on our France trip. And uh, let's say this, we recommend Normandy tours if you mm-hmm. find yourself in in Normandy, in Bayou. And we met this particular guide for our D-Day tour, but he also did other tours, right? He did Mont Saint-Michel, which we did not see on this trip, but is an attraction in Normandy. And did he do any other tours as well? He said he did some Norman stuff as well. So oh, like, okay. Yeah. Probably Caen and Rouen. Mm-hmm. Uh, some William the Conqueror guided things. Yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting to do. One thing that a connection that I had during my first trip, which was pre-COVID, we went to London. Haley and I went to London for a couple of days, and then we were in Normandy for a couple of days. And it was just interesting because one of the sites we visited was the Tower of London, which was one of William the Conqueror's original castles. And you have this interesting connection between the events of 1066 and the invasion from Normandy into England, kind of changing the the course of, of English history. And then you also had the reverse of 1944 and the invasion of Normandy from England. And it's just a kind of, you know, I won't be so trite to say, you know, history repeats itself or rhymes or whatever it is, but there's a lot of history that runs across that channel. Uh, I was hoping that you would correct me and say it's called Le Mans. What is oh, now? I, now I can't even think of the French word for the English channel. It's the sock. Le Mans. Yeah, it could be La Manche. I don't remember. I mean, that was the thing. Like when I studied abroad, my French was so much better. And then that was 10 years ago. God, that's crazy that that was 10 years ago. Yeah. But by the end of the week, there was a lot of stuff that was coming back to me and conversation was much easier with Mm -hmm. people. Yeah, you got pretty adept at making sure that all the ordering went well when we were at restaurants. Yep. Uh, was, the big one was I learned how to order <laughs> how you want your meat cooked, yeah. which I didn't really know that before this trip. So that was cool. I mean, that's the thing. Like if I were to spend a lot more time there, I feel like the things you learn, you would retain. So the next time you experience something, you would know what to say. And you're constantly learning just like being in the environment. But my problem is. I'm in the middle of Washington state. There's not really any French people to talk to out here. I don't like reading it gets you so far. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I'll buy like Rosetta stone or something to. You could find a French language partner. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the people want to work on their English or yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> no, I don't but... want to speak English to a French person. No, but you, you know, you go back and forth first, you converse in English and then you converse in French and each of you gets a little bit of practice. Or I could just pay to talk to a computer. Or that yet? Yeah. Go to go to OpenAI or see what see what they got there. One thing that I remarked to Haley is that for me, the written vocabulary is actually relatively easy to interpret, just from my Romance language background and, like I said, four years of Latin, and then just kind of putting putting things together in context. It's the pronunciation that was mm-hmm. nearly impossible for me. And I, that's just something that comes with actual instruction because phonetically you have to, that's something that has to be explained, practiced, critiqued, refined. But like I said, I could look at a sign and understand like what the store was. 
I could look at a, an announcement or a posted announcement and figure out what they were saying, but I couldn't pronounce it for shit. Yeah, I had that experience with Carly in Costa Rica when mm. I went to go visit her. I didn't know how to pronounce anything, but I could read things. And when you're looking at stores and signs and things like that, yeah, I could get my way around. But the moment somebody would like stop to talk to me, then yeah, there's no way. Yeah. There's a thing we talked about this little, you mentioned Rosetta Stone. I did not do much Duolingo practice before this trip, but on our first, that was my first visit to France four years ago. I did do some Duolingo and then thinking back on it, it really didn't help. It maybe helped a little bit with pronunciations because I was getting practice with some of the, with some vocabulary, but the actual vocabulary that you learn and some of the grammar that you learn, not useful at all. It was all, you know, things that I wouldn't really be saying, which I noticed pretty early on when we were sitting down at restaurants and you mentioned learning how to say, you know, steak cooked, rare, medium, rare, well done, whatever it was. There were basic kind of restaurant interactions, which you think would be on the forefront of what a French student, a tourist, a tourist just, is, is going to try to learn. Yeah. I mean, and and then we, you know, we say, we say all this, it was kind of a moot point. Cause I don't think there was ever an occasion where we needed French in order to complete an interaction. I think almost everyone we interacted with spoke English as well, or at least enough to do what we need to. Maybe you had a different, slightly different experience, but I think all of our waiters would reluctantly speak English if we needed to. Yeah. And that's pretty much wherever you go. Well, Bayou is different because I think the just sheer amount of American tourists going there for the D-Day beaches. Yeah. I feel like they have to learn English Yeah, yeah, yeah. because there's so many tourists that are going over there who don't speak French that that's just the way it is. So they have to learn English. Yeah. And what I found is, especially in Paris, if you are willing to attempt French, people there will be much nicer to you and understanding. France in general gets a pretty bad rap from Americans in terms of like how nice they are, I think. <laughs> yeah. But to me, like I always tell people, I love France. France is like one of my favorite places in the world. And I'm super biased because I studied there and I studied language and all that I, stuff. I would agree. If There's something very special about France. Yeah. I mean, food, culture, history. I love it all. I tell people who are interested in going to France or hesitant in going to France because of the stereotype that Parisians to me are a lot like New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. And when I think of New Yorkers, I think of them as assholes, <laughs> stubborn, mean. I don't like New York. I don't like Chicago. Just big cities in general, I think, just tend to have that kind of personality type living there. And once you get out of Paris, and I think my parents experienced this, once you get out of Paris and you're in Bayou, the people are a lot nicer. It's a different atmosphere. You're not in a city of 11 million people. And you can actually like calm down and enjoy yourself a little bit more. There's things in Paris that you have to do. Eiffel Tower, Notre Dame. You have to do like the stereotypical things in in Paris. But I don't know. For me, I feel like once you do those things, you never have to go back. So like there's a couple things I still have to do in Paris before I can feel like I don't need to keep going there. Yeah. 
But once I like go to the Moulin Rouge and take Carly to the catacombs and a couple other things, then I can use Paris as a jumping off point to go back to Angers, go to Bayou, go to Marseille and like all these other places. But yeah, I don't know. That's just my, my plug for people to visit France. Yeah. I would, I would add to that, that our experience leaving France, specifically (laughs) struggling with the Metro in the morning. And then we got, we had to get two Ubers. The first one picked us up. And then during the ride, we asked, instead of just taking us to the train station, could you take us all the way to the airport? And he agreed that he would do it. And we made the official change in the Uber app. And then a couple minutes later, he said, actually, I can't do this. I have to drop you off. He dropped us off, requested another van. That one got us to the airport. The airport, and this is this was something that was kind of frustrating to me, is that the airport is actually very challenging for any traveler like there wasn't there wasn't signage in french there wasn't signage in english unlike a unlike the actual for instance the paris metro is really really easy to navigate and i would say that as somebody who i lived in washington dc used the metro there extensively i've traveled in new york i've used the subway i've used public transportation in you know major american cities and i used it in london france is really i want to say it's really extensive tons of line i used i i used the metro system in when i studied when i lived in china and the chinese metro system was pretty complicated in paris things are in english and there's staff like we had an issue with at one point and you just like had to press a button and a staff member popped out of a, of a door and was there to help i don't i don't think i think we resolved our issue before they could really help but the air leaving the airport was a shockingly frustrating example of bad signage, bad process. And just a lot of bad luck. It was, it was bad luck too. But then you get, we've got back to the United States and we had the exact same thing coming back into the country it took us, we were talking about this before recording. It took us three hours to leave the airport after we touched down because of really slow customs and baggage claim. And then a incredibly complicated system of getting back to ground transportation and it's so it was just a good reminder of oh and our our customs agent was a total jerk to to haley and it's just a good reminder of there are bad logistics and jerky people everywhere in the world and it's i think there is a stereotype with with france definitely i would say our dining experience on the first night lived up to that experience or that that stereotype but then we had really great friendly service in other places, including in, including other spots in in Paris. So some of it is just you're gonna you're gonna have bad experiences and limited sample limited sample size. You're gonna kind of yeah. attribute that to the like cultural stereotype. But you can have the exact same negative experiences in the United States. I mean, you could have pretty bad customer service experience in in the small town in Michigan where where you and Ali are from. Yeah, but for me, it's do the positives in the end outweigh the negatives. And to me, in terms of <laughs> dining and people, the positives vastly outweighed that. To me, it was the one negative in, the, in that first night. But then, yeah, I mean, just to back up Metro, I love the Paris Metro. Mm-hmm. I think it's the easiest thing to maneuver, minus the fact that 
all of the ticket kiosks <laughs> when we were in a time crunch to get to the airport. All of the card readers were down. Yep. So <laughs> here's the thing, though. If if you take out the fact that we had a six month old, almost seven month old infant, plus multiple very heavy bags and awkward infant related things. And this was maybe less so for you and Carly, although thank you for the your assistance and carrying those things when you when you did. It would have the metro navigation would have been significantly easier. Right. We we were using the metro during several occasions where we had all of our bags with us, which is going to maximize the perceived hassle of that experience of mm-hmm. carting your bag up a flight of stairs or through a station when you're trying to transfer from the metro to the the rail line, things like that. Right. It's just the average com- if you lived in Paris and you were commuting, the metro would be a breeze. You'd probably have a card and you wouldn't have to buy your ticket on a daily basis and all that other stuff so yeah. you, you can see two, how it's it's only two euro a ticket if you yeah. don't have the navgo pass so i yeah i mean legit <laughs> i we're now we're now a, a, a euro metro review podcast <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i'm serious though like i hate public transit i try not to use it as much as possible because it just bothers me and frustrates me i really think the Paris Metro is super convenient. It's super easy to use. There's so many different lines and stops all over the city that if you want to go somewhere, the odds of you finding a Metro stop near your objective, that's only like a two minute walk away is super high. Yep. It's so great. There were, I think there were multiple occasions where you would look up something on Google maps and Haley or I would also have it up on Google Maps and we have two different routes because there were multiple possible lines that we could take to get to our intended destination. And it just happened to be like, you know, there was a train arriving a minute faster at one route versus the other. And that's why it was suggested over mm-hmm. the 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 alternative. I mean, that is what it is. The one thing I will offer is the Louvre especially highlighted how it's a lot in in a lot of occasions it's really the other tourists that are giving you a negative experience because i mean we had this in the line for the eiffel tower like constantly blowing cigarette smoke in my baby's face i mean Haley will talk about this but like people interacting with our baby in a way that she wouldn't appreciate even though you know i think it came from a nice place but don't touch strangers babies people PSA yeah, that that person was they were not ill intended. Yeah. But also don't touch a baby <laughs> yeah, without touch, permission. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smile, wave, but don't touch please. Don't touch the baby. Um Especially if you've also been smoking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was Cuz it was the person in line that was smoking touched the baby. <laughs> yeah. Eiffel Tower was incredible. That was my first time either getting, getting both getting that close to it because we did not on my prior trip. And obviously I'd never gone to any height, any section of it, but we went all the way to the top. What was your, is that the, is that the first time that you've done that? That was my first time going all the way to the top. Can say that I'll probably never do it again. I'm not a huge fan of heights. Mm. So the complete glass elevator ride to the top didn't really intrigue me all that much. That was the scariest uh, part. Like I, I started getting a little like sweaty palms, quickened heartbeat at that point because oh, yeah, I had cold sweats. Yeah, it was once you get to the top, though, I could relax a little bit. 
a little bit. I couldn't completely relax. But, you know, it's, it was cool. It was at night, so the city lights were pretty cool. But I think that helped. Being at night? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I'm indifferent. <laughs> Maybe it was the champagne. <laughs> we just, you just needed more champagne. Yeah, I needed a lot more champagne. I'm trying to think if there's... I think my top three things from this trip, Bayou Tapestry mm-hmm. is my number one. I loved mm-hmm. it. I think my second one is French cuisine. Yep. I, for all of you who don't know, I have a gluten intolerance. I don't have a gluten allergy, so I can still eat some of it. But on this trip, I ate bread every day, multiple times a day, and my stomach was fine. So that was great for me. I really enjoyed that. The fact that I didn't kill myself by eating gluten on this trip. Do you so think that was, was the the fact that it was a lot of times it was naturally fermented bread where that I've, gluten had already been broken down or it was just a I'm the, not a scientist, man. I don't know. know. But I ate baguette, I ate pain au chocolat, I had eclairs, like I was going to town on bread. Yeah, and, some of that stuff's not even fermented, so that wouldn't explain it. Yeah. And the only time that I really had stomach issues, I'm also lactose intolerant. I had way too much cheese. Like the first night we were there in Bayou, but really that's it. Like I stayed away from the dairy and then I was great after that. That might be too much information for people. Well, you know, it's fine. This, this we're, we're already going a little off, off our normal, our normal topics here. So yeah, this is literally a breakdown of Sean's diet and dietary restrictions. (laughs) Similarly, what's your third thing? My third thing is. Notre Dame. Mm. Like every time I see Notre Dame, it just floors me how beautiful the exterior of the building is and how sad it is to see it in its current state. Yeah. After it, the roof caught fire and all of that. I was lucky to go inside of it in 2013. So I've been inside, but you know, it just how impressive that building is and the history behind it. And I'm excited to go back because Carly still hasn't been inside Notre Dame. So when it's after construction is done, I think in 2024. That's what Macron said. Yeah, we'll make trek back to Paris at some point so we can do the last couple things on our Paris bucket list. But yeah, those are my three. What really blew you away this trip, Sam? Eiffel Tower. That was pretty cool. Just a monumental, I mean, truly impressive achievement of engineering construction obviously you know you say france people think eiffel tower you say paris people think eiffel tower universally recognized symbol obviously i'd seen it before but being as close as we were both on the ground and then going all the way to the top was pretty great i will say that over the course of the trip my ability to enjoy some of these things was slightly hampered by the fact that i was also at least partially responsible for the safety and well-being of a small child and maybe obviously less so than than Haley because of the whole feeding thing but one highlight of that was the fact that my daughter has had her diaper changed in all sorts of <laughs> impressive landmarks so yeah let's see if i can uh, remember them all uh, okay Normandy here we go beach yep on a bus in 
Paris. Yeah, not just not just on a bus. An open air. An open air, (laughs) the top level of an open air bus. Uh, In front of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, on the Trocadero. Yeah, on the on the Trocadero. Yeah. Where else? On the the Louvre. In the Louvre. (laughs) Yeah, in the Louvre. In the stairwell in the Louvre. Yeah, on the Eiffel Tower. On the Eiffel Tower. Yep. Yeah. So. And then we had two diaper changes on the kind of grassy area in front of the cathedral in Bayou. So mm-hmm. that, that, that was the other ma- major kind of public area diaper change. Your daughter has excrement all over Paris. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it wouldn't be the only excrement all over Paris. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we did. That, that is one thing. Cities, cities in general, Paris particularly, have a smell. There were a couple times we were walking through Paris and the smell of urine just was so intense, but yeah. And you're going to get that. I, I think I appreciate the fact that they do clean all the sidewalk. Like we, there were several days where we, in the morning, there were guys out there mopping and cleaning. I would just recommend that they should invest in power washers. You get a, a much more thorough cleaning with a power wash as opposed to just a gentle mop. FYI, France. Let's see. So I said Eiffel Tower. Changing your daughter. Changing my daughter in all these different locations. Yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna kind of steal this from you, but the French cuisine, I it just the cuisine, the whole dining culture too, because it's just so nice to go to a bistro or cafe, just grab a table. Most of the time the tables are arranged that you primarily you're gonna sit facing out. And you have just all of the people watching. Oftentimes, too, there's maybe a little a plaza or a fountain or something like that that the the bistro is oriented to. So it's just a very pleasant experience. And yeah, I I took the occasion to I got you know got my pate on, got my foie gras going. We had escargot. Esc- I didn't I didn't do the escargot. I did mussels in Normandy. I got beef carpaccio. It's not a French dish, but carpaccio, beef carpaccio, which that was fun. That raised some eyebrows at the table. Yeah, it's just one of one of my things was my one of my favorite beverages is Orangina. <laughs> yeah, and we cannot get that in the United States anymore because they stopped selling it here after COVID with supply chain issues. Mm. So when we were in the airport with our three hours to kill waiting to board our plane. I bought like four bottles of Orangina and put it in nice. Carly's backpack so we could bring it to the United States. So I think they expire like March 11th. So I'm just going to every once in a while, crack one open and just enjoy it until need, I can get back to Europe. You need to reverse engineer the formula and start making your own. Dude, it's so good. It's like orange. It's like it's orange juice carbonated with like it's like pop orange juice. I don't know. It's so good. Oh, and I Haley. normally hate. I normally hate pulp, and this uh, this is pulp in it, and mm. I love it for some reason. On the beverage side, we we redeemed ourselves with Normandy cider. Haley and I specifically, when we when we went in 2019, we did not have a good time with cider. We think that was actually probably a purchasing error 
user error. We just got the wrong cider or we got cider that had been corked, but we had some incredibly good ciders in Normandy. Pretty good, pretty good beer. I pretty good wine. Normally I, I don't drink a lot. I usually don't drink unless it's a special occasion that was obviously lifted during the vacation. And we had some just excellent dining cuisine experiences without getting really fancy. Most of our, most of our stops were relatively straightforward. I don't think we, you know, we were not out of place in kind of our touristy gear, you know, wearing hats and stuff like stuff like that. We didn't have to dress up, but we obviously, you know, I would love to go back to France and have a nice Michelin star dining experience and have a kind of a whole different vibe to it. Well, we pretty much ate at brasseries for the most part, which are like casual dining places. But that's the thing though, like wherever you go, even if it looks like a shitty exterior on some like Parisian side street, it's going to be great food. Mm -hmm. And that one, the, the last place that we went to Gustav's. Yeah. Well, no, not Gustav's. It was the, the bank one right in front of the bank. Oh, cafe de banque. De la banque. And I mean, that's on like a residential side street and it doesn't look like much, but then the food is fucking phenomenal. And it's, that's just what you get. And the thing I like about Paris too, is that like, if you look up brasserie on Google maps, even in just your little neighborhood, there's going to be like 40 to choose Mm -hmm. from. There are so many restaurants and bars and patisseries and oh man like tea houses and cafes and little uh, i mean this is this is something that fucking corner there's like 14 places and they what i love too is that some of i mean you you pointed this out the the cafe de banque or de la banque we went there partially because it was it was one of the only spots that was open at the very specific period where we were looking for food because yeah, nonstop dining, service, man. Yeah, the dining culture is a lot of places will shut down and give their staff a little break between lunch and dinner, which makes it inconvenient for people who maybe aren't on a strict schedule f- for meals. And then the flip side of that is this is something that, that I noticed on one of our last days in Paris. We were walking back. There's a restaurant we went to called Holy Belly, which, by the way, I will take this opportunity. Probably not going to matter for our listeners, but if you are ever in Paris and you want an American breakfast, go to Holy Belly. It was opened by a French chef who wanted to do American breakfast. They've got English-speaking American staffers in some cases. We had a lovely chat with a guy from Akron, Ohio. His name is escaping me, but he knows who he is. He's a great guy. And the food is phenomenal. Long, anyway, long-time listener. Long-time listener, fan of the show. Um, Not a sponsor. Yeah, not no. If and if Holy Belly wants to sponsor us, please let me know. But on our walk back from from that restaurant, which is about a fifteen minute walk, it was just around the time where a lot of the and this was a work day in in France, and you could see all of the local residents, people who worked there, people who lived there, coming out and going to lunch. And some of these lunch only spots were opening up. Where normally kind of they'd be shuttered, but it's all you know, it's all takeaway. It's just a you know a counter at the ground floor of an apartment block and it's somebody and they're selling, you know, wraps or donor or something like that. And this is the only probably it's, you know, it's maybe it's lunch and it'll be late night snack for the, the bar crowd, right? They don't do dinner. They don't do breakfast. 
and you can have all these varied dining experiences in France. Obviously, we you know just got a sliver of that, but yeah, the cuisine is and and they're all going to be pretty good. Like you, if you get bad food in France, that's the exception, not the norm. Well, there's our France plug. Go to France, everybody, but don't go next year in July and August, or at least not to Paris. That was our the advice that we received from our tour guide because the Olympics will absolutely make that place impossible, probably. Oh, and it was the World Cup of rugby. That was a fun thing to see rugby on TV and have it. It was a little inconvenient on one of our days where it really kind of shut down central Paris, but it was cool to see. And we had a bunch of other tourists from Scotland and New Zealand and all of the country. I won't say all the countries, but many of the countries that were in France for the World Cup and rugby, their their fans came as well. And we, you know, I, I heard some New Zealand accents in a lot of places that we went. I bought a rugby polo, a world rugby go. World Cup polo there shirt at the airport before we left. I am now trying to figure out how I can watch rugby on a more regular basis because it is a fun sport to watch. Well, you heard it here, everybody. France. Go to France. To <laughs> that's our that's our that's our cutting take. We're the first people to be pro visit France. Uh, we should be sponsored by the tourism board. That's next. right. Yes. We should get we should get in touch with the tourism office in Bayou. Yeah. Maybe let's send them this episode and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, here we go. Do you want more? Do you want more Bayou content? <laughs> we'll be happy to talk about it. Yeah. Next week, everybody, we will be delving into the two towers, first half of the extended edition. Thank you for suffering through our conversation about our trip to Paris and France and Bayou and all the good stuff. All right. Until next week. Au revoir. À tout à l'heure. <laughs>